Another beautiful Monday to record. It's Tuesday morning whenever you're listening to this, or maybe any other day of the week. We post these every Tuesday. It's another Icy Takes podcast with Big Dave over here and Jeff on the other side on the webcam. Jeff, I hear the birds chirping. You must be enjoying the beautiful weather this Monday evening. Dave, it is a beautiful Monday evening. The sun is out. The birds are chirping. People are out grilling all around me as I look over my kingdom here in Irwin, Pennsylvania. It is a beautiful, beautiful day. I got the Freddie Freeman jersey on in solidarity for the Atlanta Braves. We're out in L.A. this week, so it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful week, and we got a lot to talk about. And as a lot of our listeners like to tell me, they like when Heel Jeff comes out, and Heel Jeff will be coming out today. Uh-oh. That, that, I'm thanking you for warning the, the people that Heel Jeff is coming out this week. And... Uh, we also did talk about this when last time I recorded outside, I was drinking a beer. I do want to let the folks know I am having a drink as I record this. It is a uh, sweet tea vodka with some peach tea, Limpton peach tea in it. Um, so as you can tell, it's a Braves game night. You got to go with everything Georgia that you can go. So let's go, Braves. Let's kick it off here today. Just wait until the end of the show whenever Jeff starts slurring his words, and then we'll be right at it. <laughs> let's get her going. Okay, so let's get to it real quick. We're gonna. I'm assuming we're starting with baseball because uh, there's some more controversial news with that than what we've seen in the NHL this past week. Yep, yep. And if you're watching our Twitter account or if you're watching my Twitter account, that's either ice at icy takes icy spit with an e because that's why we spell it that way, or at jchrist underscore fifty one. Uh, I sent a couple of uh, clips and some news stories over to our Twitter page. Uh, the Atlanta Braves and Miami Marlins back at it again. They're, they're going at it again. And you know what? For a last place team, boy, the Miami Marlins are able to piss me off more and more each and every day. <laughs> so set the scene for us. What happened Friday night? So Friday night, we had a little bit of a uh, revenge night at, uh, I don't know what that Marlins park. Is that what they call that stadium? Cause they um, are so bad. Nobody wants to sponsor it. I'll, I'll look it up. I'm pretty sure you're right with Marlins Park. So anyway, so um, the matchup last on uh, Friday night was Kevin Guzman for the Atlanta Braves and Urania for the Miami Marlins. Don't know his first name. Not a baseball Jose. guy. Jose Urania. So there's some history with this guy. This guy last year went into SunTrust Park uh, in the middle of Ronald Acuna's incredible run last year of just hitting home runs on the first at bats of games. I think it was four or five in a row, if memory serves me correctly. And he's just pimping these home runs. He's on cloud nine. Atlanta's on cloud nine. We are running away with the National League East at this point. We're, we're past the Phillies, and we're, we're just full steam ahead. Well, this guy comes in. First pitch of the game, throws right at Acuna, no elbow guard, no wrist guard, nothing, buries one on his forearm. Acuna goes down, bench is clear. Brian Snickers going after umpires. He's going after Don Manningly. He's going after Urania. He's trying to just get a hold of someone. So this guy gets tossed, gets a five-game suspension, which, you know, whatever it may be, um, I don't think it was just enough. And he ended up missing his next start against the Atlanta Braves. So fast forward to Friday night. It's the first night we, we see this guy. And... There's some speculation going around the clubhouses on game day that, you know, the Braves might throw at them. Are they looking for revenge? And when's the right time to do it? Because you don't want to put yourself in a hole or anything like that. So 
Urania comes up, I believe bottom second. He he has runners on second and third, so first base is open. So, I mean, it's the pitcher. Do you want to put him on, turn the lineup over? Probably not, but the Braves have, a, I believe, a 2 nothing lead at the time. And Brian McCann sets up inside. Looks like they're just going to bury a pitch inside. Goes behind Urania. It goes behind him. The umpire comes right out, tosses Kevin Guzman. And at this point, I am yelling. I'm, I'm watching this through an iPad. My, my parents are in the same room. They're watching the Islanders and Carolina game. Um, they're looking at me like I have 10 heads because I'm screaming at my iPad. I explain the whole situation to them. They don't get it. And I'm, I'm just losing myself over this. And the, the whole reason that, that Braves fans are upset about this is because we never got our retaliation back. Yes, he, yes, he got suspended. He missed his start or whatever, but he threw it our, our superstar, our guy that, that we brought up through the monitors that we kept hearing about, and he tried to hurt him. He tried to hurt him. It was the first pitch of the, of the game. He knew what the situation was back last year that Ronald Acuna was on an incredible run of hitting home runs and doing it at the first at-bat of games and even in clutch situations like he was doing last year as well, and he throws at him. Where's our revenge? Why are we not allowed to come back and – we didn't even hit him. It's not like we threw him at the head. Yeah, it was maybe a little low. Maybe could have got him in the leg. But at the end of the day, I think an umpire just took over and made it, made it all about him, and he just wanted to throw Kevin Guzman out. And you know what? He turned around and he threw out Don Mattingly for, for arguing balls and strikes. So this umpire absolutely made the game about himself instead of the two teams who had a score to settle, and he didn't let them settle it. It's Kevin Gosman, by the way. Guzman Gosman, I I pronounce. Well, you're the one right. all over me with mispronouncing names in the NHL. Yeah, but yours are like well-known guys, like Gerard Gallant, who took the Vegas hey, Golden no, Knights to sound like myself a final last year. One. I had Gerard Gallant correct at first. I I messed it up, but then I brought it back before you okay. could uh, correct me. Okay, that it one was, I was gonna. I was. I gave you a break on that one because that guy's French. You. You said Austin Meadows instead of Austin Matthews for the first overall pick in 2016. Um, the one I could remember was uh, it was Kachuk. Yeah, Matthew Kachuk remember? too. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. yeah, that was another one. See? So I mean, I think I, I get a one here, right? Hey, hey, I, it, I think this Goose, was a little bit easier. Guzman, Gosman, it's it's all the same, really. Yeah. So so here's. How I look at it. Urania already got his punishment last year for intentionally throwing at Acuna during that hot streak. Got the ejection, got his suspension, missed the next start against the Braves. The season ends. Miami doesn't make the playoffs. The Braves lose in four games to the Dodgers. Um, then we go Sweet. into the next season. So, I mean, really, the Braves had the more successful season, even though nobody won the championship between those two teams. Um, but then now we go into this year, and it's the, the first at-bat against... Urania, and it's also the first pitch. They, this is intentional stuff. Whether he did hit him or not, Brian McCann locates inside, down low near the knees, and it goes behind him, at the knees. There's only that one area that it's okay to hit a player in my mind. Um, I mean, regardless, you are throwing what can be considered a weapon, but I don't really see it as a weapon. But you were throwing an object at over 90 mile an hour at some part of your body that will hurt you no matter what, no matter how long you've been around the game. And for him to go low at the knees of a pitcher, who I'm going to also use this as a part of my argument, 
a pitcher that's supposed to be so valued, at least in one league, that they can't even bat, that you're also going to go after him and throw at him when he's in the box, when really all you have to do is show up a pitcher is just put three down the middle and strike them out. I'm going to just use a rough estimate that 10% of them can actually hit him. Why don't you just embarrass him by putting him back in the box and getting it over with? That's what because, I'm confused about. Because, because he, Mar- you know Marango why he already doesn't get the suspension. benefit of the doubt there? You know why he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt from Atlanta Braves fans? Because he hit Ronald Acuna in, an, in, in the arm. He, he, he didn't give him the benefit of the doubt. If you want to send a message to this kid that, hey, bud, you're still in the, in the majors and you're still only 20 years old or however the hell old he is, he, he, put it in the numbers. Put that right back on, on Urania. Why does he get the benefit of the doubt of, oh, he threw one at his forearm? Because that's where he hit him. He tried to break his arm. All right, then are you trying to break his leg by throwing at his knees? Well, it's retaliation. It's, so it's part of sports. Gosman, it, shouldn't Gosman get his ejection then like Urania did? Which he, which he did. But, but again, why do we not get our piece of the pie? What he didn't I don't even think it's about getting the piece of the pie anymore. Well, then what are we doing here? We're just gonna we're just gonna let it go. Well, you know, MLB took care of it. They gave him a five game suspension, which is a one game suspension for for pitchers. That which is garbage because he it, he absolutely intentionally threw, threw at him. Kevin Gosman was just retaliating because of something Urania did last year. Okay, and now it's in the past. Why is Gosman even going after him? Because that. That's called seniority. That that's called solidarity. I'm sorry. It's called solidarity. It's being together as a team. You know, Kevin Gosman is trying to get part of this team, and he came in late late last year at the deadline, and he's trying to win over his teammates. And a quick way to do that is, hey, this is what happened last year. We didn't get our revenge. We're getting it tonight. You know, it's a tough spot for a pitcher, too. Absolutely. You know, because he came out in the in the post game and he said that he was uh, he felt good. His pitches felt good. He was pitching. He's actually pitching very well. Go before he did that. But you know what? He put himself behind the team and he said, "Guys, I got you. I got my left fielder. I'm throwing at this guy because what he did last year was unacceptable." All right. I would be better with Gosman going up in the in the torso region like uh, Urania went on Acuna. Acuna didn't no, on back his wrist off or on that his ball. Forearm. Acuna didn't back off that ball. If he turns his, if he turns, it hits him in the numbers. So, so does it so make you, it that so, much better of a deal then? So he, what you're if, telling me is Ronald Acuna needs to needs to uh, turn his back on that. How else it's do you a, hit it's the a, number? It's Acuna. It's a it's Acuna's fault that he got got hit in the uh, forearm. See, it's not his fault. But what I'm asking you is, how do you hit the numbers if you don't turn your body? I mean, why is that on him? No, I'm not saying it's on him, but I'm, what I'm asking is how do you hit the numbers without somebody turning? I don't know. Hit, put it more inside. Don't put it near his, near his wrist. But hit him in the hip. No, no. I, I, like the, I like that torso region. If you're trying to hit the numbers, you throw it in that area, and, it, and that batter has to turn if you want to hit them in the numbers. If they but don't, the wrists aren't they, close to the numbers. Like that, for, for the wrist and the forearm, that is not anywhere close. Ron Acuna at that point may as well just turn his full back and show his numbers to Urania at that point. The only point that I was trying to get at with that is if you're trying to get your revenge, Gosman should have done the same thing by locating in that upper area and not going for the legs. But again, that goes back to Urania didn't show Ronald Acuna that same respect. Okay, I'm going to hit you because I feel I need to put you in your place. He threw at his wrist. 
in the upper inside corner. He did not. He, you can deliberately tell when a pitcher is trying to hit somebody in the numbers or when he's trying to throw and hurt. He was trying to throw and hurt. So why are we giving him the benefit of the doubt? Why should we say, oh, we'll just hit you in the numbers because you almost broke our superstar's forearm or, or wrist? Well, I mean, if Urania doesn't back out, it might break his forearm too, and that's where that's God, where his because, money maker is. Well, you know what? Don't throw at the kid then. All right, then don't do it. Just strike his ass out and sit him down. the The story is just so overplayed now because it's all about getting your revenge. Where Urania already got tossed, he already got suspended. The Braves probably won that game seventeen to negative three. It doesn't even matter anymore. And now you're going into next year still having that pent-up aggression. It's over. The Miami Marlins suck. The Braves are on the rise, but they're still mad because Acuna got hurt. And now he's back in there doing his thing, and everything wouldn't have even been brought up if Gosman doesn't even throw at him in the first place. Now let me ask you about this. When Aroldis Chapman and, and Andrew McCutcheon had their issues back in 2011, 2012, 2013, did you feel the same way, or did you want somebody throwing at somebody? And don't lie it to happened. me. Because- don't it lie happened. To me. So I, I no, I still remember that game. I wasn't even uh, didn't even have the chance to watch it because I was out of town. But when I heard of it and saw the highlights, I was mad about it. But then you move on, and what was it in 2012? The Pirates didn't make the playoffs because that was an epic collapse by them. It was beautiful. And hashtag, as, hashtag bucks on bucking. Right, but uh, it wasn't even. That's not even the only time that uh, Kutch got hit there. So. If you like I said, if you want to get the revenge, what about throw the, it what back about the, that's, what about the bud from Arizona when he when he buzzed off uh Kutch again? Uh, Kutch I'm gets saying, hit and then the next day everybody's calling out for somebody to hit somebody. It's I'm part saying, of baseball. Bro, if you if you hit our superstar, you're gonna get some revenge. It, it you might not get the next day because you don't know when you're gonna see this guy again, but you keep it fresh in your mind. It's part of team sports. You hurt our best player. We're coming back after you see it in football. You see it in hockey. You see it in baseball. Throw it in the same region, in that torso region. When you're aiming for anything above the shoulders, which is the head, when you're aiming for anything below the belt, which is the legs, you are, and even in the torso, you are looking to hurt them. But if you turn your back when a pitch is coming towards you, you'll wear it on the back, you'll hit them in the numbers, and then you get over it and you move on. You will get the revenge if you hit up there. And I think Gosman just had poor execution in trying to hit him. Well, I thought Urania had poor execution as well, which led to this whole thing. No, I mean, Urania obviously threw it at Cunha last year, and Gosman obviously threw it at Urania this year. Absolutely. The only difference is but, but, but Urania actually did his job. Why did Urania do his job? No, I'm saying if they're looking to intentionally hit, he did the job. Gosman messed up, and he still got thrown out. I just don't see how you're giving this guy a pass that he did his job. He hit him in the forearm. I think I think we're just running around in circles at this point. We we are because you're wrong. <laughs> if you if you Urania throws it off his arm, he tried to break his arm or break his wrist or break his hand. So you're okay Kennedy, with Gosman breaking Urania's knee? An eye for an eye, man. If if he didn't, if he doesn't want to get thrown at, don't throw at the best your the other team's best player. Let That's us what know it comes on, down to. Let us know on Facebook or Twitter who's right. Uh, hit us up on on Facebook at uh, Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave, and on Twitter at Icy Takes I C E Y Takes. Uh, like I said, Jeff, we're running around in circles. So let's move on to the next one. Maybe we can come to an agreement on something. 
Yeah, um, and I mean, this is a crap sandwich you and me both are going to have to take a bite out of. The Chicago Cubs. Holy hell, where did they come from? Oh, God, I hate it. Gee, oh, yeah, this is not a not a good one for you. You're off to a down 2 nothing start for the podcast. Um, <laughs> listen to this streak that they're on. They've won seven in a row, eight out of their last 10, 14 out of their last 17. They've propelled themselves way up to a half-game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals over the weekend, and they capped that off with a 13-5 lead last night on Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. No free plugs. No free plugs. No free plugs. Um, so, so basically, I think the Cubs have the uh, have the lead on the division now. If I'm if I'm not they mistaken, do. they do. This is their line right now. This is absolutely incredible. Uh, Nineteen and twelve with a six thirteen win percentage. They won eight out of their last ten, as I mentioned. Seven in a row, as I mentioned. Their run differential, a plus fifty one. The St. Louis Cardinals right behind them are a plus twenty two. That is absolutely absurd. Considering where we where we were talking about them the first week or two of the year, where we thought maybe Joe Madden might be on his way out, and this team was kicking the ball all over the place at SunTrust Park. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, where we were wrong on this because the Chicago Cubs are absolutely running right now. Ten and four at home is the is the big one that that sticks out. Um, that is when huge. You're, when you're able to win at home like that. It, it makes e- winning a whole lot easier whenever you're going on the road and probably going to go uh, 41 and 41 on the year. I mean, even look at the Cardinals. They're 12 and 4 on the road. So whenever the Cubs go into uh, uh, Bush Stadium, you should look out for the Cardinals getting their revenge. But, yeah, right now the Cubs are the team to beat in baseball, um, leading the leading the NL Central 19 and 12. Uh, you can even go back to saying uh, 14 of 17 uh, they've won uh, after that 5 and 9 start. And the two and you can even go back as far as the the two and seven start was a a little disastrous for this team. But I mean, April baseball doesn't really um, make up the entire season for a team. But for the Cubs to have this sort of surge right now, which almost lasts three weeks of 14 out of 17 games is simply incredible. And you could just attribute that to, I think, um, two players, uh, one of them being Javi Baez, who it just launches the ball off his bat, whether it's a fastball and he's going opposite field or a breaking ball, which he's crushing into left center field in, uh, in the band box of Wrigley when the wind is blowing behind them. And uh, Wilson Contreras. Wilson Contreras has been a big contributor for this team, too. He's slugging that bat, leading all catchers with home runs with, uh, with I believe, 11 or 10. And uh, just the those two are just monsters right now. I mean... It was Anthony Rizzo who started all of this back whenever he was on the team. I think in 2011 was his debut, and it really always focuses around him. But right now, he's not really the one who's the uh, the big contributor to this team a- anymore. This was the guy who they built around and they finally won with. But now it's the other stars that are that came up through the system and are really showing that hey, you know, we're fading. We faded away last year, the year before, but we're, we're here to stay, and we're not going to be easy to put down. Don't you think if you're a Chicago Cubs fan, you're perfectly okay with Anthony Rizzo, and we'll even throw it down to Chris Bryan as well, if they're not contributing yet, but you get into the heart of like June and July and August, and they can still get contribution, contributions from ca- their catching position, Contreras and Javi Baez, and all these other guys start contributing, 
and you get into the heart of those three months and you guys go on a tear, they're already on a tear, an absolute heater of a tear right now. But you get you get Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo going, look out because they might just start running away with this thing because, you know, Milwaukee's kind of cooled off a little bit. St. Louis has cooled off a little bit. And the Cubs keep going. And right now, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati seem like they're going to be the bottom dwellers of this division. Chicago could, if they can get the production from those two superstars, Rizzo and Bryant, this this division might be done earlier than what we think by a team that we did not expect to be there. Because, again, we, we said in, in the first two weeks, maybe this is it. Maybe the Cubs are... Maybe they're they've they've lost it. Maybe they need to retool. Maybe look at a couple different options. But they are absolutely proving us wrong right now. Well, I mean, and the reason I think everyone had that speculation was I think people were assuming that Joe Madden was losing his touch a little bit with how he manages the the game and his team because he's always been the contrarian of the entire MLB with how he approaches the game and how um, he attacks other teams. So. He's the one that everyone just speculated that the reason the Cubs aren't really performing to what they did three years ago when they won the World Series is because Joe Madden can't really lead this team as well as he did before. That's now yeah. changing. Right, right. And w- with a coach like that, too, you have to be really careful because he's he's a big players coach guy. It, you know, you hear about all the fun stuff he does with his teams. And when they go on the road, they do little, like, dress-up things on the road and stuff. And you have to be careful with guys like that because then you start getting a little, little bit too comfortable as an organization with your players. And, um, you know, maybe a lot of people were thinking maybe his time has ran out because I think we talked earlier in a previous episode in our archives at Icy Takes um, that uh, he he was on a, a one-year deal, I think, right? Did, uh, I believe so. I can look it up. He, he has one – I think one year left on his deal, so – you know, he's kind of managing for his contract. And this is where you're, you as a coach are kind of, you know, telling your players, like, come on, guys, here we go. Let's, let's, let's get it going here. I'm kind of managing for my job here at this point. And things go as bad as they did in early April. Um, you know, you know, I know we, I was at least one of them that said it, that maybe he might be out of a job by June if this doesn't get turned around. And he pulled a complete 180 and said, yeah, no, we're going to turn this around, and we're just going to rattle off uh, 14 out of our last 17 and, uh, you know, 8 out of our last 10. So, um, yeah, it's just an incredible run that these guys are on right now. All right, I think that'll basically wrap up all the Cubs talk because this basically is hurting me on the inside with how well they're playing right now, Jeff. So what else do we have on the docket? Uh, big news for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of – L.A., I don't, of Orange County, whatever you want, what they're called. Just keep nowadays. including ofs in there, of California. <laughs> right, yeah. Ofs, ofs, boroughs, municipalities, cities, states, whatever you can can think of. What The California Angels, whatever. Uh, Soche Otani will be uh, possibly coming back to the uh, to the lineup for the the Angels um, as a batter, though. He will, I guess he had Tommy John over the, over yep. the winter. Or whatever uh, they said, it's he still might be a, uh, a while till he's pitching again. But uh, there is reports that he may be coming back this week to join the um, the Angels. So, Dave, my question to you is: Do you think the Angels regret regret this signing that they made last year, which was a massive signing going into no. last year's season? 
No, I, I mean, it was only one year, and I think they may uh, regret how they may have used him last year, not necessarily uh, even signing him because he's 23 years old. You look at the numbers, he put up 22 home runs on his, what was it, 326 at-bats, um, and contributed 61 RBI, stole 10 bases, and hit uh, 21 doubles. So, his, I mean, his slugging was 564. His on-base percentage was 361, right below 1,000 at 925 with the OPS. So it was it was there for the batting, especially for the first time playing in the uh, the the major league uh, baseball and not the not the the professional league in Japan. Um, it was just how um, the pitching was was so so. Um, looking at his numbers from last year, he was able to strike out a decent bit, uh, striking out sixty three in his. Um, um, wow, I just had the oh fifty one and two thirds innings pitched. Uh, gave up 19 earned runs and uh, walked a few. So I mean, his his ERA was 3.31, which um, was expected to happen. It was basically he could fire the ball in there and was um, expected to just uh, blow other batters away just by not even keeping up with the speed. So no, no, I'm not regretting the signing. It's just maybe the, the way that he was used last year. Um, but uh, you saw what he can contribute. You saw what he can do with that bat in his hands, and it is scary how even with uh, even before getting his Tommy John when he had uh, the injury that he was still playing through um, and batting the DH position for the Angels and just launching the ball out of that stadium. If you're management of the of the Angels, are you making him decide next year on are you going to be a pitcher or a hitter, or do you or do you keep up with this circus act of you know, one day I'm a pitcher, the next day I'm a hitter. Circus act. <laughs> but um, uh, I think you can still get around with him being 25 next year that you could say that you could try to contribute with both. Um, you m- maybe just include, just do uh, bullpen sessions instead of uh, running the gauntlet and trying to get the start in there. Uh, do like two or three innings a game, like in case you... Your pitcher's getting rocked early, and you're down, and you just need to make sure that you're stopping the make bleeding. Him, or... Make him a long guy, per se. Yeah, exactly. So I think every once, like like a starting pitcher, once every, every five days, but maybe limit the innings as well to like two or three and see how he can contribute from the bullpen. And then he can do both at that at that rate. Um, but we'll, we'll see uh, how Brad Ausmus and, and company uh, does with him just being the DH. I think you have three years for him to do both before uh, you really need to start leaning on one or the other. And I think the bat is where he needs to ultimately stay at uh, in, in the future. Okay. Okay. So now we got another hot button topic that came hot up. Button. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hot button. Hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it. Um, saw this going through Twitter today. Uh, Alex Cora, the manager of the Boston Red Sox, the reigning defending World Series champion, Boston Red Sox. Man, that's painful to say. Um, he has come out and said he declines his invitation to go to the White House and visit President Donald, Donald J. Trump um, hosting the Boston Red Sox. I don't think they've set a date for that yet. But, um, Dave, what, what do you have to elaborate on this? So I will always respect the decision of whether they want to attend or not attend 
uh, based off however they feel on their political views or anything like that. But I think with a man who is leading the team that has won won this championship and got the invitation to be at the White House and be honored like that, I think when it comes to the manager, you kind of almost have to bite the bullet, in my opinion, to go in there and maybe even spark a conversation with, even even though you don't um, necessarily agree with how um, the president has done some of his tactics throughout the year or throughout his years of presidency, that maybe you can start a conversation and get um, your president on the track that you want him to get on with. Because ultimately, this came down to the uh, the hurricane in Puerto Rico, and which is just massive destruction down there, and they are still um, recovering. I mean, players like Javi Baez are trying to do their best to contribute to this effort, and Alex Cora doesn't feel that uh, the man in charge of the country has been doing a good enough job of um, helping aid that country who is underneath the in the United States of America essentially um, I just think this is a, a missed opportunity for Alex Cora to go out there and maybe spark a change um, in the for the president so for our folks at home postmark this date Monday May 6 638 p.m. Um, I agree with you 100% uh, especially on the side of of the management side, um, Alex Cora in this situation has to look at himself as part of the front office of the Boston Red Sox. Um, if you're a player, I think this is less of a less of a big deal um, because yes, you're you're making your stand or whatever, and um, you know you may not agree with the president's uh, policies or whatever, but. At the end of the day, you're respecting the office. It's not necessarily the person sitting in the chair. It's the office that you're respecting. And to a second point, um, as far as what you said about being being part of the, the uh, front office or the management group of the Boston Red Sox, um, if you remember back when the Penguins were making their visits, David Morehouse and uh, Ron Burkle and Mary Lemieux, um, they all went. And Ron Burke was very much a supporter of the Democratic Party. And he went, shook hands with Donald Trump and, you know, put a smile on his face. What did, did he probably like doing it? Probably not, because that's not the guy he supports. But those those guys still went. They still shook hands with the president because because you respect the office. And it is an honor to go to that building and be honored by the president of the United States on your accomplishments from years past. Not to so, really, uh, and no, I, li- I like what you said and, there, but and, not to really, and, what? And, and I, I don't want to, you know, pat the Penguins back because I'm a Penguins fan, but it always seems like they're the ones that do it the right way. And and the teams that don't go, it just seems like you're not going because you're making it political when it's not a political event you're going to. You're going because the president is inviting you to congratulate you on an accomplishment that you shared with with the country that, you know, either people were rooting for you or they're rooting, rooting against you, but you shared that with the American people and the, and the president is honoring you that, that honor of going to a place where not a lot of Americans get to go. Not really trying to turn this into a political conversation, but I will say the, the one problem that we, that I notice as a, basically a society is that the, the politics has turned too much into sports about uh, whether your, your team 
uh, finger quotes, uh, win or doesn't win. And when your team doesn't win, you don't want to be uh, in that house. Um, I think it's just become too much of a too much of a game and too much like like sports. Like we debate all the time, where it always comes down to a winner or a loser. Whether hey, I want my team to win, or I don't want that team to win because I don't like um, how they operate or anything like that. So I think it's just becoming too much like sports, and it just needs to be put to the side. And you go there if you don't. There's just Pretend like you show some bipartisanship or just nut up and shut up and do what Ron Burkle did, which is just shake the hand and smile, whether you like it or you don't. And, and I mean, like, again, again I, I hate to keep bringing back when the Penguins went, but I, I'm pretty sure Donald Trump tried to convert Ron Burkle to be a Republican <laughs> during his during his speech. And like Ron Burkle kind of just like game like, yeah, whatever. I, I own a ton of stuff in California. You're probably not moving me over. I'm going to give a bunch of money to the Democrats. But I mean. It, it, again, you're you're you hit it on the head. It's not a political act that we're that you're participating in. It's just it's an honor that I mean I've never been to the White House. If I ever got invited by the president, a hundred percent, it doesn't matter if it's Donald Trump, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton. It doesn't matter who it is. I want to go. I want to experience that place. And the guys that are turning it turning it down, I just think that is just a very a really bad look. And and I didn't like when Tim Thomas didn't go when Barack Obama was in office either. So, I mean, right. I, like we keep saying, this is not a political show. Maybe we're dragging on this a little bit too far, but um, I just think that's a bad move on Alex Cora because even if he doesn't agree with the president's policies, you're 100% just – you're not going and you're missing out on, on an opportunity to say, hey, Mr. President, you have a minute to talk, you know, whatever. You know, it may not happen. It, it, it may happen. Who, who knows what happens with – with all the um, all the talks the president has with these teams and everything, but um, I just think it's a hundred percent a missed opportunity on Alex Gore's part. Is that it for baseball talk? Uh, we got one more thing because we because I like to uh, have you talk about about these guys all the time. Uh, what do you got on the Pirates for us? So it was a pretty odd week, I think, and they had a, a two game set with the Rangers. Had off on both Monday and Thursday, which, by the way. I'm pretty sure the Pirates had the least amount of games played because one of their games got delayed or postponed against the Reds, which will be made up, uh, I believe, on the 17th of May. Uh, they have 31 games played, and yeah, 31 games played, and I believe every other team has at least 33 or 34 Um so it was an odd week that they got two days off, Monday and Thursday. They had a little mini sweep against the Rangers, two-game sweep on the road in Texas, then got, um, in for an easier term, whacked by the A's on Friday night, 14-1. to Josh Fagley put up eight RBIs. How insane is that? Yeah, I kept seeing stuff on Twitter about it, and I was just like, this only happens to the Pirates, right? Like, yeah, um, like that stuff's like like didn't didn't he only have what like he was having an abysmal year to start the year too, and then he just goes I mean, off no, on the had, Pirates. He had 13 RBIs going into that game. Okay, so it wasn't so, that bad. There yeah, was some stat awful. that I thought I I saw that was like he was maybe it was the fact that the A's have like the worst offense in the American League yeah. or something like that. Maybe yeah, that was uh, it. And yeah. then they just like tee off on the Pirates at PNC Park. I'm like, oh boy, that's hashtag Bucks keep on bucking. I mean. Well, Jeez, and man. then the opposite. Then the opposite of the Bucks keep on bucking happened Saturday and Sunday with two comeback victories. One of them uh, yesterday afternoon or evening, depending on when the game ended, was the comeback in the bottom of the thirteenth and the 
star shot by Starling Mar- Marte and into the Pirates bullpen to win that game. His fifth career walk-off home run, which makes me want uh, Starling Marte to bat in every extra inning ever. Um, I wanted to think that every every at bat is the 13th or 14th inning because that man goes off in in the clutch moments. Starling Marte, like I really want to like him as a player, and because like he's got the arm, he's he's got the back, got the speed. He doesn't have the brain, like right. Like <laughs> I feel like, oh god, him and Gregory Polanco have to be the dumbest baseball players in the world. Um, I mean, they're they're probably in contention. Maybe not the worst, but I we don't really get to watch every every single team play all the time and see the quirkiness. But um, right, right. I, I know what you mean with how with how they play. Um, Gregory, it's Polanco. just like it's just frustrating, especially for Marte because he's he's such a talent too. Like, that's the most frustrating thing is, like, Gregory, Gregory Polanco, like, a lot of people say, like, you know, he, he was the big prospect coming up, and, you know, he kind of runs a little goofy or whatever. He doesn't really know how to slide. Thanks for the injury last year. Um, but Starling Marte just, like, he's so smooth, so confident in the box. He's got a rocket for an arm. And it, you just see him, like, pull up on a fly ball that maybe he could have got if he takes a couple extra steps or – you know, a base running gaff that he's so famous for. It's it, it's just so frustrating, especially being from Pittsburgh, because I want to root for the Pirates. I really do. But they just give me so many different reasons why I don't want to root for that team. And you're never going to have me root for another team, no matter how bad they are. So, well, um, yeah, well, but, hashtag well, hey. keep on bucking, right? Hey, it was a successful week. They at least had a win in a week, unlike the, the prior week when they had an eight-game mm-hmm. losing streak. So yeah. I'm okay with it. Yeah, things are coming up, Big Dave. Yes, exactly. I'm all I'm all about that. So I guess that that'll do it for us in uh, baseball talk. Let's switch it over. Switching it on over. We're moving to hockey talk. So we got some stuff to talk about here. Uh, two games tonight as we record. Uh, one's getting ready to drop the puck here in about ten minutes. Uh, the Boston Bruins and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Game six had a little controversy in this series. Uh, in game four. I don't know if you saw the goal. I guess a shot was deflected up into the netting above the glass, and four refer- four referees missed it. Yeah, and I mean, co- it results in a goal, and it's a goal. Like, what the hell? Like, we yeah. have all this video replay and everything, and four guys miss it. I mean, it's thank God for the Bruins. It's weird for me to say that, but I'll, I'll say good luck for the Bruins that they won that game, especially with that goal counting, because that could have been. A whole lot more controversy. Controversy if the Blue Jackets find themselves winning that game with a goal like that. Yeah, because because if Columbus wins that game and it's awful goal like that, Columbus has a commanding three-one lead. They're going to Boston on Derby Day, which that well, that was a whole whole fiasco. We'll, but, we'll um, save that right before our MVPs. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because um, that actually does tie into our hockey talk a little bit. So maybe that's how we'll wrap up hockey talk. But um. But yeah, in. And then the Bruins kind of just took over. They end up getting a big one in Game 4 in Columbus. Then they come back on uh, Saturday night after the Derby. Again, controversy. And they the Bruins come out. They jump out to a 2-0, 2-0 lead. And the Blue Jackets were back in a, an incredible third period that I apparently missed because I took a nap. I took a nap at 7 o'clock at night like a jabron. And... Um, 
And the Bruins squeak out a win. They win 4-3 on a posture knock goal. He's starting to starting to get going here. And, by the way, I have them in my Eastern Conference final, by the way, which is a big, big pick on my end. And um, All my picks are done. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> see, like, I'm, like, clinging to straws at this point. Like, I still have Boston in the East final, and I think that's it. I think that's <laughs> the only one I'm hanging my hat on right now. And um, – and then John Tortorella being torts. Everybody hates him for doing this, but after game six, after losing, or after game five in Boston, gets a little frustrated with some reporters and said, we're going to win game six. Put a little bit of Mark Messier in himself, guaranteeing a win in game six. So, um, Dave, what are you thinking for game six tonight? Well, first off, I just want to say I'm, I'm glad torts didn't say we're going to win the next two and move on because that would have been – huge bulletin board material for the Bruins to say, let's just end it in Columbus right now. Right. Right. Uh, 100%. But, 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 it, but would, would you put it past him to say that? I mean, again, torts being torts, you think he gives a hell what the, what the Bruins think? No, absolutely not. He'll do whatever, <laughs> like, the, he'll do whatever he wants, but at the same he's time, tr- you don't, he's, he's going to trot out the there in his V-neck sweater and his V-neck sweater under a suit, which is a power move on his end. I've, I love that. And, you know, he's going to coach his team, yell at a bunch of referees, and, you know, kind of do what Torch does. He don't care. But I think this Blue Jackets team is a whole lot different than before. I mean, first off, they won the first series of the playoffs instead of getting eliminated. And they won it in style as well, uh, sweeping the, the President's Trophy, one of the best teams ever constructed. And... Now they're they find themselves in a in a deficit after having the the two one lead where they they had momentum rolling in their favor, and the Bruins are showing off how good of a team, how solid of a team they really are, um, moving through these playoffs and ha- have the Blue Jackets in a stranglehold. But I think it all comes down to Bob in the end and in, in the net for the Blue Jackets. I mean, you have all the offensive firepower for the Bruins to to get in there and get the quality shots, not really the quantity of shots. It's going to be up to, up to Bob to make the, the big saves in, in these next two games for Columbus to move on because without, without him um, preventing the big shots, I think um, Boston moves on. So I'm going to put this on uh, Sergei Bobrovsky for the next two games. It's the Blue Jackets win. It's going to be because of him. Yeah, they're getting contributions from from all all the guys really that they they picked up. Matt Duchesne's having a having a big run right now. Um, Artemi Panarin has just you know he's just doing his thing. He's adding more and more money to his contract that he will be signing by July one. From with what Florida. it sounds like, with Florida or whoever, L.A., New York, wherever the hell he wants to go, he's going to get paid. And um, yeah, I, I, I just think they need a full-team effort tonight. Seth Jones just keep being Seth Jones, the absolute American stud on the back end. Um, yeah, I, I think Columbus pulls this out. I'm thinking they're going to get behind that crowd because Nationwide isn't quite like that big, gigantic arena, kind of like PPG. It's kind of like an old-school, small arena. And um, that noise, that, you know, if you jump on them early – I think uh, Columbus get, gets going. Uh, I'm thinking 4-1 tonight is my score that they that they get and they move on to Game 7. Well, one thing I want to bring up, what is your opinion on how Tuka Rask has been – how how do you think he's been playing for the Bruins? I feel like he's been, he's been really good at times, been really bad at times, but I'm seeing that arrow go north. It's going more north than what Bruins fans are willing to give him. 
So even giving up four goals tonight with the arrow up, that's bold. I I think so. I think there's going to be some empty netters in there because I think I think they would be down maybe two one. Columbus gets an empty netter and then they try they try again to pull them and then they get another empty netter. I don't think it's going to be a like a blowout four one. I think it's going to be like a two one and it just comes down to the end where um, where Columbus just gets a couple empty netters in the well, last we, couple we, minutes. Well, we do get a double header tonight. We have another game on after the Bruins and Blue Jackets. Yeah, so we have uh, Colorado, the the official team of Icy Takes, by the way, the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, they are taking on the San Jose Sharks in Game Six in Colorado. Um, something noteworthy, if you're a San Jose Sharks fan, Joe Pavelski skated today with uh, the San Jose Sharks. They did roll him out for tonight, um, but if they would move on, that is a big pickup after being involved in one of the most controversial plays that, that we've seen in hockey in a long, long time uh, to get him back uh, would be huge. Uh, like we mentioned, it, it would not be for game six, maybe game seven or game one of the, uh, of the next series they're in. Um, the one thing I will say, it is Nate McKinnon's time to shine. You've, you've been carrying your Colorado avalanche through these whole playoffs. You were on an eight game point streak. You and uh, Rantanen have just done absolutely tremendous things. Time for him to step it up the next level. He got beat up a ton on Saturday night. Um, Michael Haley with an absolute sucker punch in the slot that uh, apparently no official caught, which is an absolute crime. And um, it's just McKinnon's time to shine. Take over game six and um, have a big night. I'm thinking a four-point night for McKinnon. And uh, Colorado's going to win four-nothing. And uh, they're going to go back to the Shark Tank for Game 7. Marty Jones for the, the San Jose Sharks. I, I think, really, I always put it down on goalies the way the way I've been breaking down teams. Um, he's basically been the, the make-or-break reason for San Jose, whether they win or lose in, I think, most of these games. But, I mean, you are, you are correct about Nathan McKinnon. The, the way he's been carrying this team, he needs to put up at least two points a game for them to win, win uh, the series and move on. And I think between him and Landeskog, it needs to be big nights on that uh, on that first line and second line. Their big three need to show up tonight. I think that's the ultimate key is they need they need to be putting points on the board. Yeah, it's awesome to get the depth uh, scoring from from different contributions, but um, that the big three need to have a big factor in tonight's game tonight. And one other thing that. Um, Whenever we talk about Game 7, after we talk about Game 7 uh, between the Stars and Blues for tomorrow night, I do want to bring something up about the, the Bruins and Blue Jackets, what happened, I think, in Game 4. So just giving you a little precursor for that. Okay. So tomorrow we got a Game 7. Dallas Dallas and St. Louis. And in Game 6, what, what, what part of the game did uh, Ben Bishop get hurt? I honestly, I missed this game. I was sitting in a uh, conference room in a hotel all weekend, so I actually missed uh, Game Six between Dallas and St. Louis. So honestly, I I do, I do not know because it was whenever the the Stars were down two to one that you know Ben Bishop has basically been probably the best goalie in all of the playoffs this year, and for them to be down two to one, you thought okay, you know he's gonna he's gonna keep it intact and. We're gonna we're gonna see the comeback, and then I turn it on back in the third period, and it's four to one Blues. 
Uh, what I did not know is that the backup came in and allowed two goals in the third period to really solidify the win for the Blues to set up this game seven. And this has probably been the best series of all of them. Just so the the um, the quality of games that you get from both of these teams um, and going into the game seven and the battle between Bishop and Bennington um, has been incredible. Yeah, it's it's been a series that's had a little bit of everything. It seems like they're really going going at it. You have the skill, you have the grit, you have the battles. The goaltenders are slashing each other. It's got a little bit of everything that uh, everybody expects out of the playoffs. Um, this one's it's been so back and forth. It's almost hard to pick, right? It's almost a pick 'em series uh, yep. at this point. That obviously it's that because it's Game Seven, but. Um, it's not like there's one factor of the series that the um, each team's dominating, whether it's their power play, penalty kill, or whatever. So um, I'm going to go with Dallas to win game seven just because on the, the sole fact that throughout all these years, it seems like St. Louis can never make that jump to the, to the next round. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go Dallas. I think it's going to be a close checking game. I'm thinking maybe like a – a two nothing, two nothing game. I think Ben Bishop comes out in Game Seven. And he just plays out of his mind after uh, having to leave Game Six. So the thing I wanted to bring up uh, before we get into the the sweep of the Hurricanes and Islanders is Game is uh, what was it? It was Game Four with the scrum in front of the net between the Bruins and Blue Jackets in front of I believe the Blue Jackets net. There was um, Brad Marchand who punched Scott Harrington in the back of the neck while he was on his knees. And there was clear, clear video of it. Um, no punishment in the game, which you're not always going to catch everything in game. The referees are trying to probably stop something else. So Marshawn gets away with it. Okay. In the game. But whenever you get clear cut evidence of this happening in the game, and you're not even going to um, necessarily punish them because they didn't get it in the game. So he's not going to get, I think he got an undisclosed fine just no suspension. Um, I was trying to give praise to the NHL earlier for how they were approaching all these, maybe like illegal, like illegal hits or dirty hits or whatever. I mean, I was kind of outraged when Marshawn didn't get any punishment for this hit. What about you? So I, I get the outrage of there not being a call. The thing I'm more upset about, about that whole situation is if, if there's not a call, whatever, I, I get it, whatever, it, it was missed. I just don't like that the league went to Marshawn and said, look, you're getting a warning, and then they gave him, like, some fine or whatever. I, if, if you're going to do that, just don't put it out to the public. It makes you look really bad because this guy's got a track record that is, that is massive. It's longer than the receipt you get at Rite Aid with all the coupons at the end of it. <laughs> And so, like, uh, it seems like this guy just keeps getting the benefit of the doubt each and every time. And, you know, when he does do something dirty, everybody's like, oh, well, why don't they do something about it? Why don't they do something about it? Because the league doesn't want, want anybody to do anything about it. He's, he's the heel of the league, and it's, it's just what it is. They're just not going to do anything about it until something really, really bad happens. So I, I understand what Kucherov did in his series against the Blue Jackets was a lot more serious than what Marshawn did. And obviously Kucherov gets the penalty and he gets a one game suspension, but to just randomly punch a guy in the back of the neck while he's on his knees. And 
I mean, it didn't necessarily injure Harrington, Scott Harrington, defenseman for the Blue Jackets, but I just think it's Bush League just to even do that in the first place. And the the fact that it was caught on video, you don't have to zoom in on some grainy footage to see maybe he did it, maybe he didn't. He obviously did it. The rest were probably, I think, clearing out the scrum somewhere else. So I'm cool. I'm not cool with, cool with it. I understand that it's not going to be called. But for Kucherov to get the suspension and for Marshawn, who you said has the long history, doesn't get the suspension, it doesn't make sense to me unless the NHL just wants Boston to move on. I don't know. No, I don't think it's that they want to move on. I think they just like him as a heel as much as he is, and it gets people talking about the league like us. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, like I said, I, I get it. it. I get why there's not a suspension. Just don't tell me that we gave him a warning because I think that's what makes it look worse than anything is that, um, again, this guy has a track record, and we. it seems like you're always talking about Brad Marchand doing something dirty or – or, you know, maybe not the most kosher thing on the ice, and he continually gets away with it. So um, I, I think it's, it just is what it is at this point. Until they discipline him, I don't see any changing happening with, with like the a, league or Brad Marchand. It's like Sean Avery getting a warning. Like, who it's cares? A, yeah, it's, he's the new Sean Avery at the yeah. end of the day. So, Except he scores right. a little bit more and makes a little more. A um, couple quick notes, too, before we wrap up hockey talk. Um the World Championships are coming right around the corner. Team USA heading on over um, to play in, in that tournament. And it's usually a bunch of guys that are out of the playoffs. I think Team USA actually has a pretty solid roster. I think Jack Eichel's going. Patrick Kane's going. Um, two BC goaltenders in net, uh, Corey Schneider and um, Thatcher Demko. And um, one other notable name that every American – hockey fans should be very excited for is Jack Hughes is joining Team USA for this tournament and this is going to be our first look at Jack Hughes in somewhat of a professional hockey setting and I couldn't be more excited for this kid anytime an American is number one overall for the NHL draft that that's another step that USA hockey is taking to show that we are right there with Canada and Russia and Sweden and Finland and we kind of make our mark on on the international game, because for a very long time, Americans had to justify themselves as, as a hockey country. And we're, we keep making steps after steps after steps. And we're, we're almost there with Canada. We're a lot closer than what a lot of Canadians like to, to admit. And with Jack Hughes going over, I encourage a lot of people set your DVRs. If you have a chance to watch them live, watch these games live, because this kid is going to be a treat to watch. And the another reason I'm excited about Jack Hughes playing for the the U.S. squad is that if you look over at Finland, who I do believe they they do play early on in this tournament, don't they? I believe so. And and it's funny about Finland because they're kind of in the same spot. They're kind of competing with Sweden, who's been kind of like the dominant in that rivalry. So they're trying to prove themselves to Sweden, and they're they're an up and rising country again. They've kind of rebuilt themselves as a hockey nation. So. He, it's kind of like another rivalry for a while. It was like U.S., Canada, Russia. Now it's kind of like Canada, U.S., Sweden, and Finland kind of as like the four that kind of really compete against each other. So so the Finns aren't, aren't a joke anymore. They're, they're coming along. As you see guys like uh, Sebastian Ajo for Carolina, he's a Finn. He's a dynamic hockey player. They have a, I believe, Capo Caco 
is is supposed to be either uh, the second overall pick this year, or I think and, he's eligible next year. And that's so, the reason I brought up Finland was because you basically get the the matchup of Jack Hughes versus Capo Caco. Yeah, so I mean that's going to be an absolute treat to watch. I know I'm going to try and set my DVR for a couple of these games, and because um, anytime the Americans are playing, you got to root for your country, and um, especially when it's your sport, you're so passionate about it. Um, so again, USA hockey, let, let's go get gold here, boys. This is our chance. All right. Anything else? So one last thing, um, this, I, I know I'm going to get buried on this and I, I, I might be wrong on this, but this is my true feeling. Um, so the women's pro hockey leagues, uh, I believe the Canadian women's hockey league, which was, um, just disbanded, I believe early in April, um, the women that played in that league, and I believe there's a, uh, a women's hockey league. I, I'm not sure where it's based out of, um, but they've kind of formed together and they have put a kibosh on pretty much next year for their season. They, um, they feel that they're not getting the amenities that, they, that pro hockey requires. Um, and partially it's due to the revenue that um, the leagues are struggling to bring in revenue and everything. So they've pretty much said we're not going to play any pro hockey in North America next year. Um, this is Obviously, you don't want to see any leagues get shut down or anything like this. Um, and some notable names are behind this. Kendall Coyne-Schofield, um, Hillary Knight, uh, a couple of Canadian women's hockey players are, are behind this. Um, this is a interesting, interesting thing that's going on. Dave, are you, are, are you familiar with any of this that's going on? Um, kind of learning as we, uh, do this right now, I'm on currently on the NWHL, uh, website. So, um, as, as you keep explaining what's going on, I'm trying to, uh, kind of make sure I don't look as stupid as I usually do. Right, right. So basically, like I said, the, um, a, a lot of these, these women playing, playing these leagues and they've been struggling the last couple of years with attendance figures and bringing in revenue for their teams. And, Basically, the big uh, the big push is for the National Hockey League to back a league, kind of similar to what the NBA does with the WNBA. And it's kind of tough right now to take a shot at the NHL for this because we don't know what the NHL is doing. They, they obviously can't be making a step-by-step um, update to everybody on what's going on. They could be in talks with this. We don't know. Um, the only problem that I have with this is for these women like Kendall Coyne Schofield to come out and say, you know, I've been so wronged by not be given the same opportunities in professional hockey as other people. I, I feel this is this isn't a good look for women's hockey just because. Look at what look at what the NHL has done for women's hockey this year. You had Kendall Coyne Schofield and and other women participating in the NHL skills competition, which is the first time that's ever happened. Kendall Coyne Schofield has been, been put out in front of cameras on the NHL network. She's, I believe she's covering the, um, the Dallas St. Louis series. If I'm correct. Um, Hillary Knight has been doing some um, studio work for NBC as well. So for these women to come out and say like, nobody cares about women's hockey or no one's paying attention to us. It's not like the effort isn't there at some point. Hockey is still a business at the professional level. And if you're not drawing or you're not getting that money to come in, 
there it, it it's not that people don't care it's just you're just not a draw at the end of the day it's it's not personal it's just, it's just a way of life it, unfortunately that's just how it is look at women's soccer has the same same kind of battle that they got to run and they still they still run but at the end of the day like you can't be taking shots and say well we're we're not going to play all year because we're not given these amenities well the the NHL players aren't given those amenities they 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 get those amenities because they they go out and they bring in the money people buy tickets to watch these guys play and honestly i've never seen an advertisement for any of these leagues so you know how I, I didn't even know they were going on. The only thing I ever knew about women's hockey is that they held an all-star game at the, uh, at the Lemieux Center. So I think, I think yes, the NHL would help, and I think that they are going to, at some point, try and help women's hockey and make that progression. But it's just, really, it's just really hard for me to get behind them when the NHL in the, what, four months that we've done this podcast, for, for them to say, you know, we we haven't been given all these opportunities. I mean, they're pushing what, women's hockey on pretty much every NHL broadcast at this point with with all these women coming out and doing doing games or doing studio work or participating in the skills competition. Um, it's just really hard for me to get behind them right now. I think you pretty much uh, did a good job on your soliloquy right there. I don't really need to add too much to this. Um, it looks like based off the NWHL website that I'm on right now with some with a statement that they released on May 2nd that the um, they plan on continuing for Season 5, and that, that was on May 2nd. Um, so it must have happened. When, when did that... Um, when did the... and Was it the NWHL that is just ceasing operation then? Yeah, I think, it, I think it was. It wasn't too long either... I think it might have been like two or three weeks ago. I want to say, like it, it, it was in the middle of the first round. I want to say. Okay, well, I mean, uh, like according to this article, with it was the CWHL. I think that you're talking about season yeah. operations. Um, now, like this is their chance to basically combine the both leagues into one big league uh, in North America, kind of like how the NHL has right now. So I think this is also a building opportunity for the NWHL to get on board with that league build it into one because too much separation, too many leagues cause doesn't bring in enough money. Um, we saw it with the A with the AAF um, with, uh, with football, the American Alliance of football or Alliance of American football. Who cares? They didn't even get through their whole season. They had to be bought out by Thomas Dundon, the owner of the hurricanes to um, continue their season early on because they weren't making, making payroll for everyone. So um, don't, they shouldn't look at this as a negative, Build up, build upon it with the uh, with the CWHL um, uh, stopping operations and try to build something even better than what you already have. Right, and again, I think it comes down to market your stars, market Kendall Coin Schofield, market Hillary Knight. You know, get behind some of these names that have been out on NBC and in the NHL Network, and and all these all these things are doing for the NHL. Use that, use that as a platform to start marketing these these players and then you'll get more and more people and then you'll start getting little girls that want that want to play hockey and want to want to see their their favorite player who's not Sidney Crosby or is not Seth Jones or whoever it's it you know you want to build these these players these women players to build little girls so they're not they're not rooting for a guy they're rooting for a girl that they they like to, to play like you know 
would that not be the, the best thing in the world to see see a little girl that says instead of saying the big name of Sidney Crosby, who everybody wants to be, right? Everybody that plays hockey wants to play like Sidney Crosby. But instead that they go, I look, I'm Kendall Coin Schofield. I'm scoring goals in in Korea in a in a gold medal game, or I'm Hillary Knight. I'm the I'm the best women's goal scorer ever in the history of American hockey. Like that's the thing that kills me about this is that they just don't market themselves in, in a way to to bring people in. They kind of just like it's almost like they expect people to come in and watch their game just because it's the women's game. And it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't it doesn't matter if it's the women's game or the men's game. If you don't market yourself, you're not going to draw in fans. I think the Grays only dug two feet. You didn't do a whole you didn't go the whole six feet. So you did a good job there. Yeah, I, th- I know I'm going to get buried on this, and it, it's just something that I, I do have a plat of I do have a platform with this podcast, and um, I just felt that I I just needed to get that out. Okay, so um, what is that about it for hockey talk? That is all I got for hockey talk. So let's move on to MVP of the week, right? All right, yeah. Um, I'm I'm, I'm going to lead off here real quick. Um, I'm going to give it to a a player and the entire team as well. Um, giving it to Dougie Hamilton and the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Dougie Hamilton, good on you for patting Brock Nelson on the head during the handshake line because that is the biggest bunch of jerks move I've seen this entire season, and I absolutely adored it. And the reason I adored it was because in Game 3, when the Islanders scored a tied up, I believe, in the second period, which also, by the way, Jeff, was probably the most hockey I've watched um, that wasn't the Penguins, was that Game 3 between the Hurricanes and Islanders, which was phenomenal, just the way it all unfolded with Hurricanes taking the lead, Islanders tied up twice in the first and second period. Um, but after the Islanders tied it up in the second, it was Brock Nelson who thought it would be a great idea to pat um, backup goaltender uh, McElhenney on, on the head. It's Curtis McElhenney, correct? Correct, yes. Uh, so it thought it would be a good idea to tap him on the head after they tied it up. And that is one of the biggest no-nos. That's almost like throwing at Ronald Acuna's arm. Um, but uh, the the Hurricanes go, get in there, get the win, get the next win, sweep the Islanders, and throughout the handshake line, Dougie Hamilton just gives Brock Nelson a little pat on the head. And it, it almost looked like for a second it was gonna, something was going to ensue, but nothing really did. And they waved their sticks, they, they uh, slap him on the ice, and get out of Carolina without doing the storm surge. There you go. There you go. And by the way, we missed this in uh, hockey talk, by the way. A um, little flashback, April 16th, game four of the first round of the playoffs, going down an escalator at PPG Paints Arena. I was talking to an Islander fan, and I asked him, where are your home games at in the second round? He told me Barclay Center. And I gave him the smuggest look, and I go, bud, you guys are going to get swept. And sure enough, the bunch of jerks came through. They know I hate them. They hate me. But you know what? At the end of the day, we hated the Islanders more as a collective unit. And the Islanders, you got swept. If you would have stayed in the Coliseum and not had some back-ass deal to play in that basketball arena Barclays Center, you would have moved on. But you didn't. You didn't. You had to go to the Barclays Center, and you got swept out of the playoffs just as fast as you swept the Penguins. So suck on that on the island. Anyways. Uh one, one more note before you do your MVP of the week. Um, the Islanders are the first team since 1993 uh, to get, to sweep in one round and then get swept the next round. Do you know the team? Oh, boy. I do not, honestly. I, 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 I feel like I should know that bit. 
93 is a year that a lot of Penguin fans like to forget. Um, it was an Eastern Conference team. I'll give you that. Was it the... I'm trying to think who... Is it Boston? No, it was uh, the Buffalo Sabres. Buffalo. Okay, I knew it was like... I, I, I was thinking it had to have been a... Uh, a uh, like a northeast team like a Boston or Buffalo because Montreal went on to win that year and uh, Montreal played the the Islanders in the uh, in the uh, Wales Conference Final. So there there you go. That's the the stat and the MVP that I got for you. There you go. There you go. Uh, my MVP. Moving on. Um, I'm going to give it to long reliever of the Atlanta Braves, Tuki Tucson. Tuki came in after Kevin Gosman. Did did the uh, the good brother move and went after Urania, and to be thrown into that situation comes out pitches phenomenal, shuts down the Miami Marlins, and just like that we kept it moving, got the win, which led to a sweep in Miami, which is what you should get every time you play that that crap team that Derek Jeter's running down there. Um, just big ups on him that. That takes a lot. It's really easy for a game like that to get unraveled when your starter gets ejected like that. And for Tuki, a young arm, to go out and ju- just throw his stuff and throw his game, um, that that's big ups. That picks up your team big time. He saved the bullpen from having a long night. So, Tuki Toussaint, you are my MVP of the week. Well, thank God the Braves didn't blow with their bullpen because I think that's one team that rivals the Pirates when uh, bullpen was. Yeah, except we're a half game out of first place. I think you're three and a half, so so I think you got bigger problems to worry about. Eh, that's fine. I try to win my battles <laughs> when I can. Yeah, uh, you didn't pick a good one there, but Ah, uh, that's fine. So hey, every every Tuesday we release these episodes. Um, make sure to tune in next week. We appreciate you guys listening. Also follow our Facebook and Twitter page at Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave on Facebook at Icy Takes I C E Y Takes. Uh, follow our personal Twitter accounts at Big underscore Day 52. And at Chris underscore 51. Just like our Lord and Savior, amen. We will be back next week, so uh, stay, stay icy there, folks. And hey, Icy Take Nation, go as go tonight. We need a big win tonight. Go as go. We'll see you later.